The BBC presents Jet Morgan in Journey into Space. We've now covered nearly 120 million miles of our six-month-long journey through space to the red planet Mars. A month ago, we passed through a cloud of space debris. Whether it was comet dust, meteors, or merely ionized gas, we don't know. But for seven hours, all electronic equipment within our ship was completely upset, causing us to lose contact with the rest of the fleet. When at last we were clear, we discovered to our horror that freighter number six had disappeared. All efforts to contact her by radio were fruitless, and finally there was nothing for it but to give her up as lost. So now, two ships had gone, for freighter number seven had already been wrecked by a meteor and abandoned. And yet our troubles were not over. The cloud of gas, or whatever it was, now lay behind us, and as it formed an impassable barrier to all electromagnetic waves, communication with Earth control was impossible. We expected it to remain so for at least another month, or until the Earth had moved sufficiently in our orbit to be clear of the gas cloud. And then one day, while Lemmy and I were passing an off-duty hour with a game of chess, control was suddenly heard. But after only a few preliminary exchanges, Lemmy declared that the five-second delay between replies was considerably less than it should be in relation to our position from Earth. Are you sure? Of course I'm sure. At the times I've spoken to Earth, I reckon I should notice a thing like that, shouldn't I? But if you're right, Lemmy, if the delay was that short, that would put the Earth about a quarter of the distance from us that it should be. That's impossible. Lemmy must have made a mistake. We can soon see. Get them to call you again, Jet. Hello, flagship. Are you ready to take the message? Uh, sorry, Control. Didn't hear you. Will you repeat that? One second. Two. Three. Four. Controls of ah. flagship. Repeat, are you ready to take the message? Well, Lemmy's right. It was five seconds. Sorry, Control. Cannot take message at this moment. We'll call you again in a few minutes. What on earth is going on? The ship must have turned itself round. We're going back home. Oh, turn it up, Lemmy. We're heading for Mars. Correct course, correct position. Just as we should be. Then how can you account for that message? There's only one explanation. That can't be Control. What? Then who is it? Search me. I'm no clairvoyant. I'm just a radio operator. If it's not controlled, then... It sounds like they, they must be fairly close to us. Somewhere within the region of half a million miles. And that's why they sound so strong and clear. We never receive Earth at that strength. Then who can it be? It must be control. A short delay must be due to some freakish way the wave travels, or, or something oh, like that. Use your loaf, Mitch. Do me a favor. How could that be? Lots of things can block a radio wave, but nothing can change its speed. Call them up, Jet. Let's take the message at least. Yes, Doc. We can argue about it afterwards. Uh, switch her on, Lemmy. Transmitter on. Hello, Control. Morgan calling. Now ready to receive your message. Go ahead, please. One, two, three, four. Control to flagship. There, you see. Five seconds again. Here is your message. Urgent. From control to space fleet for immediate action. By order of Supreme Council, flagship Discovery and remaining six freighters are to abandon all attempts to reach Mars and return to Moon Base immediately. Repeat. Return to Moon Base immediately. 
End of message. Hello. Hello, Control. Morgan speaking. Are you crazy? We're nearly halfway there. What are the reasons for turning back? There can't possibly be any. Emergency operation. Plan B. To be put into effect immediately. Plan B? Yeah, complete turnaround. Return to base. Regardless of what we think our chances are. Plan A would give us some choice in the matter. If I thought it's safe to go on, we'd go on. But if Control order Plan B, I've no choice. Even if we were about to touch down on Mars, we'd have to turn back. They can't expect us to abandon the whole project without giving us some valid reason for doing so. You know the golden rule on this trip, Mitch. Carry out the order first and ask questions afterwards. Yeah, Jeddon, an emergency. But what emergency is there now? now? This is where I intend to break the golden rule and ask them. Hello, Control. Morgan calling. I've received your message, but I'm at a loss to understand it. Expedition is going well. Can you give us your reasons for ordering Plan B? If Winch will give that order, he'll be up in mad at you questioning it. Uh, no matter than I am at his giving it. Your message received. Emergency operation Plan B to be carried out at once. There, what did I tell you? Orders must be carried out without question at all times. Yes, but... Here. What did he say? Orders must be carried out without question at all times. Control has never used that expression before. And it's not the first time we've heard it. Whittaker often used that phrase. Yes, Whittaker. But that's the voice of control. I'd know it anywhere. Well, it certainly sounded like control. Now, Lemmy, turn back that tape. How far? To the part when control first called us. Right. What do you intend doing, Jet? Listen to it all again. She's set, Jet. You ready? Yes, Lemmy, go ahead. Hello, Space Fleet. Control calling. Control calling flagship Discovery. Trying to contact you. Come in, please. Well, what do you think, gentlemen? Control. No doubt about it. I'd stake my life on it. Keep going, Lemmy. Hello, Discovery. Control calling. Have urgent message for you. When can you take it? That's Control, too. Control to Discovery. Message will be transmitted in one minute. Stand by, please. I tell you, I'd know that accent anywhere. Hello, flagship. Are you ready to take the message? Repeat. Are you ready to take the message? Uh, it sounds like Control, all right, but it still doesn't explain why the time lag between replies is so short. Quiet, Lemmy. The emergency message is coming up next. Control to flagship. Here is your message. Urgent. Here. Oh, blimey, why didn't I think of it before? Quiet, Lemmy. For immediate action, by order of Supreme Council, flagship Discovery and remaining six freighters are to abandon all attempts to reach Mars and return to Moon Base immediately. That's not the same voice. Almost, but not quite. When the actual message came, a new voice took over. Yeah, and what I was about to say... it again, Lemmy. Yes, Jet. Here it comes. Control to flagship... Here is your message, urgent. Now listen, From control carefully. to space fleet for immediate action by order of Supreme Council. It is a different voice. In all the excitement of being told to turn back, we didn't notice it. And if you just let me get one word in it, raise there's another thing. What's that, Lenny? The freighters, he said, the flagship of the remaining six freighters was to turn back. Well, there are only six. But Earth doesn't know that. So far as I know, we've lost only one, number seven. Yes, you're right. We lost number six while we was passing through that cloud of ionized gas or whatever it was. And we lost all contact with Earth at the same time, and we haven't re-established it since. Yeah. Lemmy, can you get a bearing on that signal? Yes, if you keep him talking long enough. All right, get ready to do it. I'll call him up. Yes, mate. Hello, Control. Flagship calling. Have message for you. Can you take it, please? You're all set, Lemmy. All set. Hello, Flagship. Receiving you loud and clear. Ready to take your message. That's Control's voice again. Did you get the bearing, Lemmy? Not quite. Uh, hello, Control. Uh, sorry, didn't get that. Would you repeat your call, please? Should line up on him this time. Hello, Flagship. Receiving you loud and clear. Ready to take your message. Right. Got it. Hello, Control. Here is my message. I've received your signal regarding the operation of Plan B. We'll now consider it and call you back in a few minutes. What is the bearing, Lemmy? One degree to starboard. Azimuth reading. 
Altitude nil, depth nil. He's almost right slap in front of us, whoever it is. That's it, then. It can't be control. If it were, he'd be behind us. Hello, Discovery. Your message received. Why, oh, there's the mystery voice again. There's no time for consideration. Action must be taken at once, or we cannot be held responsible for consequences. No, he's trying to scare us. Hello, Control. Your message received. Action will be taken on it if and when I think fit. That is all. And you can pick the bones out of that. Well, gentlemen, I think that about settles that. It's not control. It's someone using the voice of control in the hope of fooling us into turning back. But who? Whitaker. Who else? He must have gotten ahead of us. But what could he gain from that? He's got one of our ships, hasn't he? But he can't go anywhere in it. Even if he went onto Mars, he couldn't land us. He's not built for it. And if he just keeps going, he'll eventually cover a full orbit and in a couple of years be back where we all started, on the moon. And we'd be there waiting for him. There'd be no point in that either. And why try to get us to turn back? If I knew, I'd gladly tell you. Oh, what's he trying to do? Wreck the expedition? He must be raving mad. If he were, he'd never have gotten through the psychiatry test. Oh, there must be some other reason behind it. Something much deeper and stranger than we can comprehend. Something to do with his being born in 1893, maybe. Oh, you don't really believe that, do you? I'm beginning to believe almost anything so far as Whitaker's concerned. The way he behaved the whole time he was with the expedition. The uncanny effect he had on the crew members of the ships he was in. All of it must add up to something. Mm, but what? Oh, I wish I knew, Doc. If I did, we might have some idea what to expect next. Well, there's one fellow who can tell you that. Tell you exactly what Whitaker is up to at this very minute. Who's that? Peterson, the pilot of number six. The last we heard from him, he was yelling for help. Yes, I'd forgotten about him. I wonder if he's safe, even if he's alive. If he were, Jack, he'd have called us up by now on number six's radio. Yeah, right, Doc. You mean you count him as dead, then? Uh, not necessarily, Lemmy, but if Whitaker is as crazy as he appears to be, we can't hold out much hope. Blimey. Look, Lemmy, keep a constant listening watch on control's frequency. If anything comes through, call me immediately. Right. But first, get me Frank Rogers of number two on the ship-to-ship -ship system. Yes, mate. Rogers? What for, Jack? He spent more time with Whitaker than anybody. I want to get him over here and talk to him. Contact. Air pressure, maximum. Okay, Doc. Open that up. Hatch opening. All right, Jet, give me your helmet. Thanks, Doc. How are you, Frank? Fine, Doc, and thanks for the invitation over. First time I've been out of my ship since we took off eight weeks ago. I'm afraid there's no party you've been invited to, Frank. Huh? You'd better get your suit off. Then come on over to the control table. We'll talk over there. Yes, sir. Let me hear anything more? No, Jet, not a sound. Well, he, it, they, must realize we've seen through that little game and have given up trying to fool us. With the radio, maybe, but what will they try next? Here, give me a suit, Jet. I'll put it away for you. Oh, thanks, Doc. Well, Captain, here I am. What's the trouble? It's about Whitaker. Oh? You know everything that's happened regarding him. Well, nearly everything. Oh, more than most, I think, sir. But there's plenty you don't know, Frank. That nobody in the whole fleet knows except the crew of this ship. Really, sir? You remember personnel section wanted information on Whitaker? Well, you asked him for it while he was still in my ship over the intercom. Mm -hmm. And then I had him transferred to here. That's right, sir. He was sick. Well, so it appeared. Um, wasn't he sick then, sir? Not in the way you mean. Oh. 
Then, as you know, I finally had him placed with Peterson in number six. And number six has since been lost. Yes, sir. But less than an hour ago, we believe we had a radio message from number six. Oh, thank goodness, Dad. Are they all right? No, they're not all right. Far from it. What? I said we believed we heard from number six. Fact is, when we first picked up their signal, we thought we were in contact with Control. Well, how could that be, sir? Well, it was Control's voice we were hearing, at first, anyway. But after taking a bearing on the source of the transmissions, we decided the signals were being radiated from a point some half a million miles in front of us. Well, then it couldn't be Control, could it, sir? Not in a thousand years. We believe it to be number six. And we also believe Whitaker to be behind the messages we were receiving from her. Well, may I ask what they were, sir? Orders to turn back. Um... This isn't a joke, is it? It's no joke. Far from it. Listen, Frank. We've no way of discovering the reason for Whitaker's odd behavior, except by finding out all we possibly can about him. Now, you spent a month alone with him. Well, about the most uncomfortable four weeks I've ever spent with anybody, sir. I complained to Lemmy about him. Yes, he told us, but we thought Whitaker merely had a bad dose of space sickness and would soon get over it. The little time he spent in this ship proved it was something more serious than that. How did you stick it as long as you did? It was the case of having to. Tell me, Frank, just what did Whittaker do that upset you so much? Nothing. Nothing? I mean, it was his doing nothing that upset me. He wouldn't talk unless it was necessary. Yeah, but what did he do in his spare time? Or just lay on his bunk. That all? Well, unless anything came through on the radio, then he'd be up on his feet in a flash, listening, as though the message were for him personally. Oh, that doesn't give us much to go on, Frank. Was there nothing else? Well, if there was, it must have happened while I was asleep. And that wasn't often. Oh? Why not? I was scared to. Why? Well, I had such fantastic, horrible dreams. What about? I can't remember. I seemed to forget them as soon as I woke up. And believe me, Jet, I woke up in a cold sweat at least a dozen times. Uh-huh. But as soon as Whittaker left the ship, you slept soundly. Yes. I can't tell you how grateful I was when you decided to have him transferred. Mm, He affected Lemmy in the same way, but not so strongly. Had Lemmy been alone with him, it might have been a different story. It might have that. Look, Frank, you really haven't told me anything I don't know already. There really isn't anything more to tell. Oh, except one thing. Yes? He was always asking if he could take my radio watch. Oh, and and did you let him? No, it's against regulations, except for emergency. Quite right. It was rather an odd request from a fellow who was always telling me that order should be obeyed without question at all times. This would be his favorite phrase. And when he did get to the radio, was there anything odd about the way he carried on then? Only once that I'm aware of. What happened? Well, I came out of the cargo hatch after a routine check and found him tuned into control and listening into the messages being passed between this ship and base. Oh? Had he been ordered to listen on control's frequency? No, we were supposed to be on the ship-to-ship wavelength. And the other odd thing about it... Uh-huh was that he'd recorded everything Control had said. Only Control's transmissions, not ours. No, Jet, Control's only. Did you tackle him about it? Yes. What did he say? Well, he said you'd called him up and asked him to keep a check watch on Control as reception wasn't too good and you didn't want to risk not hearing anything vital. How long ago was this, Frank? Well, about two weeks out from takeoff. Well, it is possible. One ship is often detailed to keep a double watch on Control. We'll check up. Can you let me have the actual date? Oh, when I get back to the ship, I can. Or we could call Grimshaw and ask him. No, I'll wait until you get back. Look, Frank, I don't want a word of this mentioned to the rest of the fleet. Is that clear? Yes, sir. Meanwhile, if you think of anything else that might have a bearing on all this, call me up, will you? I will, sir. Well, that's all. Oh, have you eaten? Oh, yes, just before I came over, thank you. Very well. I think you'd better get back. We don't want to leave Grimshaw alone in number two any longer than we can help. And thanks for the chat, Frank. What you just told me may well prove very useful. Thank you, sir.
Hello, flagship. Freighter number two calling Discovery. Hello, number two. Receiving you loud and clear. What's cooking, Frank? I'd like to speak to Jet, please, Lenny. Hold on a minute, mate. I'll call him. Hey, Jet. Number two wants you. Going. Hello, number two. Morgan here. Oh, Rogers, yes, sir. I've checked back in the log to the date in question. It was April 22nd, 13 hours, universal time. Oh, good. Hold on a minute. Uh, Lemmy, look up the handwritten log, will you? April the 22nd, 1300 hours. Right. April. April. Six. Eight. Here we are. April 22nd. Uh, were we in contact with base, then? Yes, Jet. For 20 minutes. Who was keeping check watch? Freighter number four. Thanks, Lemmy. That's all. Hello, Frank. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. We've just checked with the log. Check watch was kept by number four. I thought that might be the case, and I took the matter a little further. Oh, how? I checked back on the recorder to that date, too. Well? The recordings of Control's messages during that transmission are missing. You mean he didn't record them after all? Oh, yes, he did, sir. But the tape has been cut, and that particular section removed. Has it? Well, that proves a lot. Nice work, Frank, and uh, thanks. Thank you, sir. Hey, Doc, Mitch. What's up? Just as we thought, that was the voice of control we heard at first. Whitaker was relaying it from number six. He did take the tapes with him, then. Yeah. He must have kept them in the pocket of his crew suit. He probably had a good deal more stuff over in number two as well, that he had to leave behind. And that's why he was so upset when I told him he wouldn't be going back there. If he had, it'd have been number two that we'd be missing now. Yes. When I transferred him, he had to change his plans. Still... One ship serves as well as another. He was in number six, so he took number six. And when he got far enough ahead of us, he played the tapes over the transmitter, trying to kid us into thinking it was control, and then gave us that phony message about our having to turn back. Well, it didn't come off, did it? No, it did not. Yeah, I wonder what other crafty schemes he's got up his sleeve. Goodness knows. But we'd better be on the lookout. Anything might happen. I'm going to tell the entire fleet the whole story of Whitaker as we know it, from start to finish, warn them to be ready for anything. Are you sure that's wise, Jet? Yes, Doc, I am. We've kept back most of the information we have on Whittaker because it seemed too fantastic to be true, but... Well, uh, now I'm not so sure. You don't mean you believe that stuff Earth told us about him? The way he's carrying on, Mitch, I'd believe anything. I wouldn't even be surprised if he had something to do with that meteor swarm or whatever it was we passed through. Oh, now, Jeff, that's carrying things a bit too far. Well, he certainly seemed keen enough to plow through it, remember? He was the only one who was. Of course he was keen. It was only when we got into the thick of it and lost all contact with him that he was able to make off with number six. Only then could he put his scheme into action. And what scheme? The scheme to get us to turn back, Mitch. Oh, yet I think you're letting one or two freak radio transmissions and a couple of coincidences make you lose your sense of proportion. The arm of coincidence isn't that long, Mitch. Not where Whittaker's concerned. If you ask me, the reason why that meteor swarm, or whatever it was, always remained in our path no matter what evasive action we took was because that's what it was supposed to do. It was put up as a barrier, a means of scaring us into turning back. Oh, come on. And when we didn't, when we decided to plow straight through it, then other plans were put into action. Who by? How should I know? But we're not turning back. Too right we're not. We'll get to Mars. And neither Whitaker nor anybody else will stop us. Let me call up the fleet. Every ship, I'll talk to them. Yes, Jet. They might as well know the truth. The whole truth. And they might as well know that come what may, we're pressing on. We set out to reach Mars and we're going to. Hello, Space Fleet. Flagship calling Space Fleet. Not one man protested when told that, in spite of everything, we would continue our journey towards the Red Planet according to schedule. In fact, I'm pretty sure the protest would have come had Jet told them otherwise. Every ship was now put on a rotor to keep watch on control's frequency, to report to discovery the moment anything was heard. 
Whether the call was thought to be a spurious one from the missing number six or a genuine one from control itself. But in spite of the constant watches, no contact was made with anybody outside the fleet. Another two weeks went by. Two uneventful weeks, during which time we covered another 10 million miles, bringing our total since takeoff to 129 million. We were rapidly approaching the halfway mark. The fleet still kept perfect formation. And still, there was the large gap between freighter ships 5 and 8, marking the places that should have been occupied by the ill-fated numbers 6 and 7. We were traveling at something over 30,000 miles an hour, but to all appearances, the fleet hung motionless in the star-studded, velvet-black sky. Occasionally, we took a look at Mars, which was getting close enough for us to be able to identify it as a disk, even with the naked eye. The Earth, on the other hand, was ever decreasing in size, and it became more and more difficult to pick out the familiar features of its surface, even with the little navigational telescope. For 19 days, nothing untoward was noted in the log, and then Lemmy, who, for the sake of a change, had taken over radar watch for a spell, had something to report. What is it, Lemmy? Something's out in front of us. Getting a signal on the screen. What? There. Can you see it? Yeah, I can. Well, what is it? How should I know? It isn't very large. My news sizes go out here. Hey, Jet! Coming. Now, what's the trouble? The radar, it's detected something straight ahead. How far ahead? I don't know. I haven't calculated. Then you'd better find out its distance from us and its size. No, no, look, on second thoughts, you better get over to the radio. Oh, do me a favor. Don't you trust me with this thing? Yes, Lemmy, but I want you to call up freighters two and four. Tell them to keep watch, too. And let me have the reports on the object as soon as possible. Yes, Jet. What do you think it is, Mitch? I haven't the least idea. Not at this stage. But it's not another meteor swarm. That's it. Objects still too far off to estimate size. Thank you, number two. Be glad of another report as soon as you can manage it. Jet? Yes, Larry? Third report from number two. I'll get it, Jet. Ah, thanks, Doc. Is this the only one, Lemmy? For a moment, Doc, yes. Mm -hmm. Expecting a further report from number four in ten minutes. Right. Here you are, Jet. And what's it say? Estimated distance, 4,000 miles. 4,000? Then we're still overtaking it at the same speed, at roughly 1,000 miles an hour. That'd put the object's speed at approximately 29,000. 1,000 miles an hour, slower than ours. Get over to the telescope, Mitch. See if you can detect that thing yet. Sure. How about the televiewer, Jet? Shall I try to get it on that? Uh, if you like, Doc, but I think it's too small for you to pick up at this distance. Well, no harm in trying anyway. I'll give you a call if I see anything. Any luck, Mitch? Not yet, not yet. Oh, we should be seeing something now through the telescope anyway. The latest calculation puts it at less than 2,000 miles away, much less. It's possible that I am seeing it, but don't know it. It wouldn't be much larger than a pinpoint. With those stars in the background, it... Say, wait a minute. Well? Something here, I think. Spot of light a little bigger than it was ten minutes ago. Any idea what it is? Not yet. Have to wait till we get a bit closer. Did you hear that, Doc? Yeah, Jess, but I don't see anything on the television yet, I'm afraid. There's no doubt about it now, Jess. It's there, all right. And getting larger every minute. Yeah, let me take a look. Sure, it's, it's right in the center. A white disc. Yes, I see it. Now, more than a disc, Mitch. It, it's definitely globe-shaped, with the sun lighting up a good two-thirds of it. Eh? I didn't notice that. Well, look again. I think you'll find it so. Yeah. And meanwhile, I'll get over to Doc, see if he's picked it up yet. Okay. Have you got it, Doc? Yes, I think so, Jeff. Look, isn't that it? 
I've been watching it closely the last quarter of an hour or so. It's certainly increasing in size. Yes. Through the telescope, it's globe-shaped. Huh? Well, then, what on earth can it be? I wish I knew. I could then decide whether it would be necessary to take a base action. Object globular in shape, diameter difficult to ascertain at this distance. Thank you, number four. I wouldn't let its diameter worry you. Another hour and you'll be able to put a tape measure around it. Here you are, Jet. Fifth report from number four. Oh, thanks, Lemmy. Screws, I know what this is. Eh? It's a ship. What? Yeah, Jet. A spaceship. Eh? One of ours. Are you sure? Well, of course I'm sure. The reason it looks globular in shape is that its cabin is facing us, so that the rest of the structure is blocked out. Here, let me get at that telescope. It's all yours. Yes, Mitch, you're right. She's still very small, but no other object in the heavens could look like that. Yeah, and we're overtaking it rapidly. In an hour or so, we'll be passing her. I'll say we will at a thousand miles an hour. Yeah, not if we slow down. We could drop down to her speed and coast alongside her. What, the whole fleet? Oh, think of the fuel consumption, Jeff. No, Mitch, not the whole fleet, just us, Discovery. But if it's number seven, she's just a red. It can't be number seven. We couldn't possibly have overtaken that yet. You mean, you mean it's number six? With Whitaker aboard? Unless there's another fleet of ships out this way, who else could it be? But two weeks ago, she was nearly half a million miles ahead of us. Well, something must have slowed her down, and we've been gradually catching up on her. Well, to get alongside her, we'll have to slow down too. We'll have to turn the ship over to do that. Oh, that's not difficult. You mean you intend to let the rest of the fleet go coasting off on its own? Oh, we can catch up on it later. Look, Mitch, if that is number six, Whitaker must be aboard her. And I want to know why he went speeding off on his own. Why he sent us that stupid message that was supposed to be from control. And I want to know what happened to Peterson, too. All right. If that's what you say we do, we do it. Lemmy? Yes, Jeff. Get me the pilot of freighter number one. Right. I'll put him in charge of the fleet until we overtake it again. You sure he can handle it? Well, why not? He's been trained for it, and there's nothing for him to do but keep going. We'll be in constant radio communication. Well, time's getting short. You better get hold of Doc and get ready to turn the ship over. One seven eight. Gyro number one, stand by. Standing by. One seven nine. One eighty. Cut, Gyro. Gyro cut. One eighty degrees. Steady as she goes. Stand by to fire motor. All set. Teleview stern view on. Ship in full view. And it is number six. Ready, Mitch? Now, fire! Contact! So long, boys. See you later. Acceleration, 100, 200, 300, 800, 900, 1,000. Cut the motor. Motor cut. Oh, nice work, Mitch. Right alongside her. Cut the gyro, Doc. Gyro cut. Unfasten your safety straps. Right. Now, Lemmy, as soon as you're ready, open up the radio. Tell number one, maneuver successfully carried out. Then call up number six. See if you can raise them. Yes, yes. Hello, number six. Hello. For the last time, this is flagship discovery calling. Come in, please. 
No good, Jet. Either he don't hear us or he doesn't intend to answer. He can hear us all right. Maybe he's in there. Where else could he be? All right, Doc. Put your suit on. Hey? Oh, wait a minute, Jet. You don't intend going over there, do you? Not before you know everything's all right in that ship. What other choice have we? But uh, the, the door isn't even on this side. Before you reach it, you'll have to pass out of our sight. The radios will be on. You can talk to us. Well, if, if you say so, but I'll tell you, mate, I don't like it. Might be a trap, a uh, trick to get you in there. That's a chance we'll have to take. All right, Doc. Let's go. Hatch. Opening. You've been listening to Episode 6 of Journey into Space with Andrew Folds as Jet Morgan, David Kossoff as Lemmy, Guy Kingsley Pointer as Doc, Bruce Beebe as Mitch, and with David Jacobs and Anthony Marriott. The orchestra was conducted by Van Phillips, who also composed the music. Journey into Space is written by Charles Chilton and produced by him in the London studios of the BBC.